0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, there's a lot of news in the world of sports. There's
1: a lot of news, but guess what? We're down a sport. Why? Because hockey season's over now, too.
0: Yeah, that didn't last very long.
1: So we we probably are done with basketball tomorrow. uh, Tonight.
0: Yeah, but tomorrow we'll be down to one sport. (sighs) Yeah. It's a tough time of year. Uh-huh. I mean, but you love baseball. I do so love baseball. You don't mind, but I like the, all the sports. And Before I still we get to everything it. else, yeah. with, with, you mentioned the Stanley Cup last night. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite present, like trophy presentations, mm-hmm. and the celebration. I love the handshakes yep. at the end of Game Seven. I always do. Did you happen to see um, Alexander Ovechkin's reaction and T.J. Oshie's interview? Tell so, me about it. So Ovechkin's reaction—he looked like a, like a little child who had just like realized his dream—and and I love. You know, we talk about on the show a lot, the emotion that athletes show when they, they reach their goal, when they achieve their dreams. TJ Oshi was really poignant. Um, I guess his father is battling Alzheimer's, and he said something like, he's been having some tough times with it lately, and hasn't remembered very much, but he'll never forget this. Something to the the lines along that. It's, so, those,
1: it's those kind of moments that just
0: make sports. And I, I saw pictures of his dad holding the Stanley Cup with him, and it's those kind of things, like all those hours that your family sacrifices for you to become a professional and and taking you to the rank and practicing and buying your equipment and then you know you're later in your life and having your own challenges and there's your son out there you know with the ultimate trophy realizing the dream that you all had when when he was a kid i, I just those are the kind of things that to me sports are pretty cool i agree so we'll be done with hockey mm-hmm. um let's get basketball out of the way real fast in terms of the, the game playoffs yeah um, the
1: least exciting part of this week in the nba is the basketball
0: could LeBron carry a team anymore? No.
1: And, and and if I hear one more person criticize LeBron for anything that's happening with the scores of these games, I really don't get what—I'm not a huge LeBron fan. I just don't understand why people criticize him when he has no basketball team around him. Or apparently, I don't know why Tyron Lu was so special because— they made a point of changing the whole team midseason. And everybody they got who was scoring 15 to 20 points a game doesn't make it into any of these games. They got Rodney Hood. They got George Hill. They got Jordan Clarkson. And those three hardly ever play.
0: So how's it his fault? I have to give it up to the Golden State fans for their reaction to J.R. Smith after Game (laughs) 1 when they (laughs) cheered him during Game 2 over and over again. That was some good trolling right there. Well,
1: the one thing that the Golden State Warriors have not done in this amazing run that they've had is sweep in the finals. The Cavaliers so they've, they've got I guess they got their goal for tonight they've right? got
0: their chance okay so we'll leave that where it is mm-hmm. um did you think you'd be talking about the Sixers during the finals without them playing
1: I thought maybe I'd be talking about LeBron with the Sixers or another Kawhi Leonard with the Sixers I didn't think I'd be talking about the dopey former general manager who decided
0: to have his burner accounts so when we left you I'm sorry me? his wife <laughs> you do not believe that she was behind it do you no, so think, for our listeners no, I, think, I mean I think, it's it's I, been out there already uh law firm released their findings brian colangelo said he didn't know about these burner twitter accounts but the firm said that he was basically careless with information and that his wife admitted to running said burner accounts and was a kind report therefore they uh equally uh, agreed to part ways or mm-hmm. he resigned um you do You, as a lawyer, have seen many reports like this. You don't believe it was a kind report, and you also don't believe that he had nothing to do with it.
1: I don't know for certain. We can can start with that. Okay, so go ahead and speculate now that you've said what you know or don't. I find it incredibly hard to believe, if you want to suspend reality, you're welcome to do it, that he had no knowledge that any of this was going on, that somehow that there were five of these burner accounts, Twitter accounts, that his wife was running to protect him, including, by the way, the size of his collars, but protect sending out all of this information, including medical information, and he had no knowledge of this. And if that's the case, he has one of the worst marriages in American history. Really, she's just going to do this for no apparent reason and not help tell Look, him. Look,
0: if, if it wasn't her, he certainly threw her under the bus pretty well that's right. <laughs> yesterday. Uh-huh. I mean, there's tire tracks that won't go away for a long time. Okay, so Brian Colangelo is no longer with the Sixers. Mm -hmm. Did it surprise you?
1: Despite despite the the very hard work of of his dad, Jerry
0: Colangelo, which uh, was kind of not really the stuff you want to see or expect to see.
1: Well, I mean, let's face it. Jerry Colangelo not only is an owner, but also his involvement in USA Basketball is is a revered name. The, the name Colangelo had a lot of value behind
0: it. Do you think that's why it took over a week for a resolution here?
1: I think that had something to do with it, but I think that Jerry Colangelo, in trying to save uh, a Junior, has actually hurt his
0: name. Okay. So... Brian Colangelo is gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brett Brown seems to be in charge right now. For the moment. For the moment. I,
1: I, but I, try, I mean, look, if he ended up making the draft
0: picks, I would not be upset by that. Do you think that there's a chance he ends up being like the president and they get a general manager to like go to him for things? Or do you think that... Well, that never works. Well, because I wonder whether the team tries not to go outside the organization for somebody. Why? and we Well, I just... They've gone through three basically leadership teams now is this ownership mm-hmm. and they haven't really gotten it right any time there's been an issue so, so
1: if nothing if nothing's gone right in the front office why would you why would you then give somebody who's well, in I think it, they would in the, I think they, they would the look at it administration that, I think
0: they would look at it that they brought somebody in from the outside that didn't work out. And they seem to be rather insular. Every, so they,
1: everybody that is there was brought in from the outside. I didn't
0: tell you I agree with it. I told you <laughs> what it seems like their reaction. Nobody is was showing.
1: Bo- nobody was born in the
0: organization. So I think the biggest driver for them hiring an outside GM is their desire to pick people up in free agency. If they weren't going to be so active in the free agent market, if they, if they, yeah, but if they
1: don't go outside the organization, the mistrust will still. I, I don't think that the damage was wiped clean by getting rid of Calangelo. I think it So you think there's minimized.
0: a stain that remains even though yes. he's gone.
1: Yeah, I do. I, th- I think that I think the entire league of players was was assuming that Calangelo would be gone in minutes. And as I said last week, I think you have to go through this process. I don't think it's fair to somebody not to find out the facts before you fire him. Suspending him would have been fine with me, but you you just can't just fire somebody. But the players wanted him fired. There's no question that the people around the league thought he was responsible for this and that he should go. And the Sixers held on to it, and the Sixers had, do not have a, a, a an amazing reputation as far as how they've handled front office, including the way they got rid of Sam Hinkie. So it, I don't see how players aren't going to say, well, this may not be the most, despite the talent that they have, do they
0: really have a stable organization that I can trust
1: More than one year.
0: Well, and that was the thing that that Keith Pompey said last week that stuck with me is there was nobody out there defending Brian Colangelo. And when this was done, there was still nobody out there defending Brian Colangelo. Nobody really ever came out. You know, Brett Brown defended other people when they had issues before he said nothing about this. It, It just it was very interesting Uh, You could see the support or lack thereof that he had both internally and externally based on the reactions that people had to the news. He got no benefit of the doubt. no, None at Mm all. Um, And goodwill buys you that. And you could see how little goodwill he had by how little wiggle room he had. From the start, it was, they're not going to separate whether it's him or his wife. They believe it's the same thing. That was the report that was out. I was convinced on Wednesday from everything that was coming out that they were going to keep him for some reason. I just had this feeling like they were going to not make the move and, and try and get past it and let the storm blow over. and. Uh, if they had done that,
1: I am pretty sure they would have lost season ticket holders.
0: Well, you would have stopped buying season tickets. No, no, I'm
1: serious. <laughs> I, I think that people would have said, you know what? I'm off of this bandwagon. Because we've seen in the past, Philadelphia fans are smart. And they're not going to stick around if they think management doesn't have their players backs
0: what do you want to see the team do now do you want to see them go out and get a big name GM that's out there like yes. LeBron's former GM uh-huh. or or somebody like that. I mean that, that's or, that's
1: the person that the the people in the basketball industry say he's the guy. Now the other person now, that I've heard in the now last if we, day is Joe Dumars.
0: If we could be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't build the greatest team around LeBron. You're getting him because he built it's a LeBron. better team than what they have now. He didn't do this debacle. But, no, but <laughs> they were never the strongest team around LeBron it was always LeBron and the pips basically like it was it was was like him with with everybody else by the way that reference probably went over most of our I think you're surprised that I made that reference because you would think that I'd be too young Mm -hmm. for that one but uh, it's just he didn't do anything that wowed me when he was the GM Mm -hmm. his his cachet is the fact that he was LeBron's GM and people think LeBron will come to Philly. there
1: will be nothing that you need to do if you get LeBron
0: Fair statement. Just drops mic, walks away. That's yes. your that's your statement.
1: Uh-huh. Draft a couple shooters in the draft. Get LeBron, drop the mic. All right.
0: We'll see. That's really all you have to do. We will right? definitely follow it. You got another like 2 weeks to the draft, mm-hmm. 3 weeks to free agency. It's going to come fast. I mean these decisions are going to be made quickly and everybody's going to wait around probably to see what LeBron's going to do and then all the dominoes will fall mm-hmm. but they don't have a lot of time to get up to speed and get their bearings to figure out what they're going to do
1: and they and they really need to take they need to move quickly with LeBron because he's got his
0: his summer job working for the Lehigh Valley <laughs> iron pigs <laughs> they've done so well trying to recruit him aren't they having like a night for him or something yes, uh-huh what, what are they doing i think they're doing like a, jer- a, sh- a jersey that says james and 23 <laughs> on the back hopefully they'll send one to him good job uh with the marketing <laughs> from the lehigh valley iron pigs we'll talk more now, minor league now baseball he's, he's later
1: off um social media he says when he's in the playoffs you think he even knows yet
0: about the lehigh valley iron pigs Uh i don't know about that he certainly knew about brian colangelo
1: yes that he knew so he may have been off social media but he knew all about brian Mm -hmm.
0: colangelo's or alleged well keep in mind his
1: agency is ben simmons agency yeah
0: so they knew everything yes all right we'll get back to minor league baseball a little bit later in the show but um uh, the LPGA is in Southern New Jersey this week. Big tourney this week with a big golf tournament Down the shore. And uh, before she went out on the golf course today, you had a chance to talk to Paula Kramer a little bit, didn't you, Jeff? Couldn't be nicer. And is on. She had a, a tough
1: injury last year with a, with a wrist, and I think that she is doing very well. Um, and I, I can't tell you how much after listening to her. We're, we're rooting for her but right now even though we, we got to talk to her earlier she uh is now minus three on the 10th hole of the first round and she's only two shots, two strokes back
0: well let's go to our interview with her before she went out on the course
1: we're here with paula kramer one of the most exciting uh professional golfers on the women's golf tour paula how you doing
2: I'm doing really well. Thank you.
1: So um, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about this upcoming tournament that you're in in the ShopRite mm-hmm. Classic down in Galloway Township.
2: Yeah, I, this is one of my favorite events. I'm so glad that, you know, it's able to you know still be around for all these years. There's just so much history. And, uh, you know, I've had so many awesome moments here at <laughs> uh, ShopRite. Just the fans are always. I'm so knowledgeable about golf and whatnot, and it's it definitely they always you know root for me as well. So it's pretty fun to be able to go to a place that you you have so much support.
1: You you had a lot of success early on in your career, and one of the most successful early tournaments that you were in as an amateur was when you were 17 years old and you played at the Shoprite Classic. What was it like yes. to do that well that early on?
2: Well, I mean that obviously helped me make my decision to turn professional. Um, you know, because of that great finish that I had, and you know, playing with Christy and having her make that putt on the last hole and me missing—I mean, there's a lot of things that have definitely have helped me get to where I am today. Uh, but you know, as as an amateur, getting a sponsored exemption into the shop right um, at such a young age, and to be able to go back now—you know, it's my 14th year as a professional on swords. It's pretty neat that that, that's still around.
1: When when she made that last putt, reflecting back on that moment, do you look at it more as a positive or more as a negative?
2: Well, obviously, I wish I would have made mine. You know, that would have been uh, even more more special. But at the same time, um, you always learn from everything, and I still think about it to this day, how many years later, uh, but at the same time, I, I, I take every experience um, to each their own, you know, it's definitely golf is a game of ups and downs and I was beyond disappointed at that moment, but at the same time it was, I'm 17 years old and here I am, I almost won my first LPGA event, that's, you can't take that away either.
1: What was it like to have the crowd behind you as, as somebody that's going through that even as an amateur?
2: Well, the crowds is the crowds are great. I mean, I love playing in front of people. I love playing in front of fans and uh, people that just you know appreciate golf. And I um, I remember standing there saying, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is it. Here we go. <laughs> and then you know coming down the stretch and in that situation that I was in, it was very special.
1: When you when you were growing up, did you start golf at an early age?
2: I started golf when I was ten something that i could really just do with my dad uh you know i used to be a dancer and you know so much of that was with my mom and you know curling my hair doing makeup my dad wasn't necessarily going to do that and this is just something that i could could go out and um, do with him
1: we've talked to jim furek in the past about team play and one of the things that that i've always admired about your golf is is that your ability to play well in team events and dating back to uh the late uh 20 or 2000s and then also with the Soultime Cup in 2015 what's it what's the difference between playing in team events versus individual events
2: Um, Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is it's not just about yourself anymore. It's about the team and trying to do your best for them, Um, you know, the 12 girls that you're with. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have played on seven Solheim Cups. And, uh, you know, I just I love being able to have a captain and a partner.
1: Do you enjoy the camaraderie of of team golf versus individual golf? Do you become better friends and better teammates with people than if you were just playing in an individual event? Well,
2: it's just totally different. I mean, you're not competing against them anymore. You're competing against other people. And you have a partner that, you know, I've been very lucky that my partners have always been, which is really my best friends, off and on the golf course. And when you have that opportunity to go, all you want to do is, is play well, not only for yourself, but for them and your team. And when you represent your country, there's, you know, no better no bigger aspect than that is you know that's the number one ultimate goal and I think as an athlete is to wear your colors and to go out and uh you know represent that and, and play for them
1: and in 2015 you guys had a historic comeback what was it like to to play with that group coming back from the deficit that you had
2: Oh, well, I mean it's it shows it as it was. I mean, it was almost, you know, not impossible by any means, but we we definitely needed to go out and play strong and we did. And, you know, I was an anchor match there and um, ultimately it came down to that. And, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome to, to be on a team like that. And Julie Inkster's an amazing captain and I hopefully will be able to play under her uh, next year. Um, you know, in our next
1: event. What What did she say to you at the beginning of that last day? I mean, did, did you guys have a sense? I
2: can't tell you
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> so you were, you're were you the last match of the day, and you guys are coming back. At that point, all the other matches are done. What's it like to have your whole team kind of following you around and kind of cheering for you? Is there more pressure when everybody's around like that, or or is it kind of a boost to have everybody well, watching?
2: Well, I have um, always either gone, you know first off or in that situation that was the first time I ever went last and Julie came and talked to me and asked me do you want to go she was I have a a question and she was would you mind going last and I was like really the anchor match And she's like we're gonna need it you know we're gonna need all of these points we need them early we don't we need to end and she's like I would want anybody else to make a four or five footer coming down the stretch other than you and I was like all right you know I've never done it I've always been early off so for that you know that to her have the you know the belief and you know faith that I could go out and, and do something like that it was quite an honor and to be able to do it actually you know for my team it was beyond special. And
1: now as you as you get to this point in your career, you've gone from the young upstart to the person who's the veteran on the tour, somebody that other teammates can look up to. Um, what's it like to now have other golfers come to you for advice and, and kind of look up to you? for everything that you've done in golf
2: you know it its it's an i mean when i was younger i was you know people said you're a role model you're my role model and i i I really had no idea what that meant and now as i get older I, i i do understand but i'm still learning every day that i go out there and you know golf is a game that it doesn't matter how many years you play you're always learning something you're always tested in some certain way whether it's mentally or physically and you know I just I love watching the game grow I think it's so important to be able to you know have women be involved in the game of golf and young kids because you know the LPGA Tour is an amazing organization and we want it to last for for so many years
1: now, with regard to uh, what you've been working on off the golf course, I understand that you're involved in a couple charity programs, including the First Tee program. How did you get involved in that?
2: Well, I played in the First Tee Open when I was uh, 16 out in California, and you know I've always been a big supporter. I was an ambassador for them, and you know other than the First Tee, my you know my foundation for the military. Uh, it's just it's for the families, and I've been very involved with my time. You know, trying to just bring, you know, awareness to to everybody that, you know, we still have men and women that are overseas and that are fighting for us. And, you know, I'm over here playing golf for, you know, my job. At the end of the day, there's these men and women and their families that are allowing me to go and do that. And to Just to bring, you know, awareness to that is something so special. So it's pretty neat to be a part of two different, completely different organizations, whether it's, you know, the golf or, you know, military
1: how did you get involved with the military families?
2: Uh, my family, my dad, uh, is, was a retired captain in the Navy. My cousin's a Marine. He's actually Lieutenant Colonel. And it, it's pretty amazing to, to be a part of a family that, you know, they sac- make so many sacrifices for, you know, our country. And yet they, there's, they don't care, you know, that's just their choice. And I, I find that just truly amazing. And, um, you know, being in an in individual sport, yeah, you know, I find it fascinating the fact that they are able to go and, you know, they have their families at home and whatnot, but yet they go and they support their country.
1: I've heard that you visited Walter Reed Hospital.
2: Yes, I have.
1: And, and, that, and that there's a, a funny story about one of the people there saying that they've played golf against you and you didn't recognize it.
2: Yes, one of um, the soldier was there and uh, he was badly burned. And I came by and I, I spent the day at Walter Reed, which was, you know, beyond eye opening. I mean, it was one of the most surreal moments I've ever had in my entire life. And at such a young age, I'm actually very thankful for it. But he told me he's beat me in golf many times, and it was because he played me in Tiger Woods in the video game. And I told him one of these days we're gonna have to go out and you know play on a real course. So it, it was a pretty, pretty neat experience and uh, a very humbling one as, as as well.
1: That's amazing. What what is it like though? For not just to be, as you said, a role mo- t- talking about being a role model, but to to see young kids play Nintendo Wii and say that they played as you. The the kids grow up and say, "I want to be Paula Kramer."
2: You know, there's. I still I can't really give you an answer to that because. <laughs> Every day it happens. It's uh, I still don't believe it. You have to kind of pinch yourself at a time is I'm I'm just doing something I love. I love the game of golf. I've been, you know, very gifted with a lot of things and abilities to be able to come out. And, you know, people, my teams around me have given me so many opportunities to do what I love. And when I hear things like that, I, I, I don't quite understand it. You know, I just, I'm a normal girl from California who goes out, does what she loves. And if I can get young girls and boys involved in the game because of that, then that's honestly the biggest accomplishment that I can have.
1: Well, that and, and it also appears that a lot more people now wear pink when they play golf.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so, so you have been, you've often been called the, the pink panther and, and often wear, wear pink when you're when you're playing. How did that come about?
2: I was um, given the nickname when I was 16 years old, and uh, I always wore pink, and, you know, it's just it's, it's kind of stuck. I mean, you could be called worse things <laughs> than the Pink Panther. And, uh, you know, he's on my golf ball. He's a uh, head cover. And, you know, people are always out in pink. My bow is always pink. Something's pink always on me.
1: So, so are you looking forward to this weekend?
2: I definitely am. I can't wait for it. It's one of my favorite events, and um, I'm looking forward to – to getting back out there. I, you know, I had a good first two days last year's and not quite a very good Sunday, but I'm I'm ready to go out there and compete for 3 days.
1: And you're healthy now, right?
2: Yes, I am.
1: So so I understand that just the last question with regard to your uh wrist. You you had an injury with it and then started working better. Was it difficult to come back from that?
2: Oh, beyond, I mean, this is the longest I've ever taken away from golf. 6 months was It felt like eternity. Um, You know, I changed my coach. I changed everything about what I was doing. You know, surgery is obviously it's an unknown. You never know what's going to happen. And the one that I had was definitely an unknown. There were so many parts going on. But um, I'm so glad that I, I did it. I am definitely feeling so much better. It's amazing to not play with pain. I haven't felt that way in at least two and a half years. And it's a, it's a great thing. And I honestly, I, I feel strong. It's just a matter of time with all of these changes that I'm making, you know, I'm not putting any pressure on myself right now because of everything that's new in my life and with my golf swing. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I obviously want to go out and I want to win, but, you know, I have to be realistic and uh, stay, stay true to what we're doing with, you know, my golf for long-term.
1: Well, Paul, we're all going to be rooting for you and watching you this weekend, and we wish you the best of luck. Thanks for joining us.
2: Well, no worries. Thank you for having me.
1: Nice job, Jeff. She she was a lot of fun. I did. Uh, and I think uh, it was interesting to learn that the decision to go pro as a 17-year-old came as a result of her almost winning a tournament as an amateur, the very tournament
0: that, that she's she, at this weekend. That she's at this weekend. Yeah. It, it, you know, For as much as we are a sports show and talk, You know golf and every other sport i I enjoyed hearing her talk about her involvement with the military and somebody playing her as a character in a video game uh like those are the kind of stories that that you get from athletes like you and i are never gonna know what it's like for someone to come up to us and be like hey i played you in a video game like That's just not going to be... That's not our lot in and life. It's not going to happen. And by the
1: way, if they play us in a video game, then they're not going to do very well. No. So we'll have
0: like a skill level of zero and minus one. <laughs> I won't say which one is which. But... Um, but for
1: people, just, just so you're aware, it is this weekend. So get on down there. The weather, I think, is supposed to be good this weekend. So if you get down to the shore, go watch them
0: play. I mean, they're they're amazing athletes. They are on the course as we speak. Jeff, before we head to break, another minute or two... Um, couple other topics. Let me guess. I am the greatest. Does that have anything to do with that? I know you want to talk about Uh, that briefly. What happened with Muhammad Ali today, Jeff? The president was going to pardon him. But there's a problem with that.
1: Uh, There's nothing to pardon. Details. Uh, Muhammad Ali was convicted during the Vietnam War for not going into the draft. And then that decision was reversed by the Supreme Court. So there's
0: nothing to pardon. Did that bother you as a lawyer to to hear that (laughs) happen? Did you like take that personally that he kind of didn't have that down?
1: Uh, I I hope their legal department does a little more research. Okay. Uh, And by the way, Muhammad Ali's family said,
0: thanks, but we're good. We're not going to get passionate about this. We're just going to (laughs) be factual. The Eagles did not end up at the White House this week, Jeff. Yes. Um, How do you feel about that? I think it's a shame.
1: I mean, we're not a, we're not a political show. Um, I just I just think that this is something that it they should go. The president should just have them there. There should be no politics involved. And unfortunately, this again turned into a flag debate. And this wasn't it should have just been a celebration of a
0: victory by a good team. We will continue to try and talk about what the actual issue is. It's brought up uh that has been now hijacked to talk about a you know what
1: we're gonna need to do we're gonna have to have like an after time where like people can tune in because because
0: uh, you can't it, talk about that in a in a show that's a half hour or an hour well because
1: yesterday i listened to you i don't think you took a breath for like an
0: hour yeah i told you i'd be gentle on the <laughs> air so I, I wouldn't go there uh real fast before we hit break what's going on with the phillies three and seven road trip 32 and 28 now they it's can't not the really it's
1: not it is not the pitching it's a lot a lot a lot of strikeouts and bringing up Walding and Cousins is not going to cut down on team strikeouts. Don't
0: talk about Walding yet save him for the All minor right. league show. Uh-huh. Uh Cousins has done the Cousins thing he's had he a home run, run. run and struck out a lot. You yeah. you did say it would be additional strikeouts to the lineup. Yes. Um he swings really hard. <laughs> what is going on why why is this happening in terms of – sl- with the, with this team, you you had Arietta last week pop mm-hmm. off about the manager and about a player. Really doesn't like the, the bad the, part. Really doesn't like the shift. Mm-hmm. You saw the shift basically lead to a guy taking third because nobody was covering it the that other day. Was, it's so embarrassing when <laughs> stuff like that – I mean, think about it. The, it was on a walk, by the way. I, that I, was
1: the amazing point. So there's a guy on first base. A walk happens. So the guy from first – Runs to second because he was kind of trying to steal, but then once he realized the guy was walking, he kind of slowed down a little bit, got to second base, and realized there's absolutely nobody on the left side of the infield, Appar-
0: so he scoots over to third. Apparently Alfaro's supposed to be there. Um, what were your Alfaro thoughts? Alfaro was the one who threw the ball to second base, though. Details, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Again, what what is going on here where Arrieta goes public rather yeah. than taking it inside the locker room? I would have to believe that
1: he must have expressed this at some point earlier than this, because if you if you watched, at, the only run in that game was Ariada, who hit the home run. run, and when he came in the dugout, there wasn't a whole lot of glee
0: of of him. Because no, like, he knew he was putting up the only run of the yeah, day.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it literally looked like he was like, all right, that's it, unless I hit another home run,
0: I got to go out there and pitch a shutout. We will talk a little more Phillies when we get back from the break. We'll bring them into our minor league rundown. Stick with us when we come back. We'll talk about our trip to Reading. We've got an interview with Derek Hall and more.
1: Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family.
0: Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports. With the biggest names on and off the field. It's the Heart of Sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN. With former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville, Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's the Heart of Sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. Welcome back to the Phillies High Hopes Minor League Rundown. Jeff, we are back from Reading last week. Fun time. Wasn't that a great stadium? You know, you've been there before. And an old-timey stadium? You were telling me how different it was from Lakewood and Lehigh Valley. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they they tried to spruce it up a little bit, but it is. It's just an old-time stadium and great sight lines and... You know, fun atmosphere. I enjoy the minor league stadiums. There's just so much going on there for fans to do and be a part of.
1: There's a lot of character, especially at a place like that that's older. And at the same time, every single seat there is like being in, you know, the lower section of a major league park. Because I mean, because that's the size of the whole stadium. So it's it's really cool to be that much closer to the players. The player, the players are more accessible. Uh, if you saw even the Reading players when they go from the dugout back to the they go through the room, concourse. They just walk through the concourse. Yeah, and if they're going to the batting cage, they walk through the concourse. So it's it's very interesting to just see them kind of walking around and I have been in stadiums where like after a game, they'll just, you know, they they take off their uniforms, they got their t-shirts and their their sweats on and they go get a hot dog at the well, stand. Well, it was
0: military appreciation night, so you ended up with someone's jersey, right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Did I just spoil surprise for your wife or something like that on the radio? <laughs> um,
1: it, it was... They were really, co- they were r- really cool uniforms, and the- it was Military Appreciation Weekend. And if you remember, there were giant bombers flying overhead while we were doing the interviews. Our will be able
0: to hear- we'll definitely be able to yeah. hear that during some of the interviews over the next few and, weeks. And
1: they're not new bombers. These were like World War II planes. Yeah. Well, it turned out it was
0: World War II
1: weekend in
0: Reading. There was an air show there yeah. and so, a bunch of events. So... And- it was old timey all over the place. We couldn't uh thank Redding more for their hospitality. I mean, they they kind of opened it up. The players and the manager were great to talk to. They had us right in the on-field dugout suite basically. Yeah, they, they have, a, have they now. have
1: this new dugout suite along the first base side, so you can literally sit down. They have it's like a bar top, bar table, and you just fade you got bar stools and you you can just sit up against
0: the uh, the field and, and it's it was kind of cool it was cool so we we set up there and sat at the high tops and and interviewed some of the players and the manager talked about plenty of things the the one we're going to play this week is Derek Hall who literally had just come up from single a the day before the day before so we we caught him while it was a whirlwind going around him and uh have a listen to the interview and we'll talk to him when we get back we're here at Redding with Derek Hall. What is it like? You are newly a Redding Philly. Congratulations on the call-up. What's it like for you with the move?
3: Uh, well, thank you. Um, you know, it's it's exciting um, to, to be honored, you know, to be able to move up. And, you know, it's a, it's a great group of guys. And, you know, obviously the, the fans are great. And it's nice to get out of the Florida heat. So... <laughs>
0: What was it uh, like when you got the news that you were moving up? Uh, tell, tell the listeners what's that like for somebody who's never experienced that type of emotion.
3: Oh, you know, it was cool. I, it was something I just wasn't really expecting. Um, I, I just played the game, um, you know, come in, and, like, we're, you know, just hanging out in the locker room, and Sean comes and grabs me, and he goes, meet me in, in the office, and that's either a really good thing or a really bad thing, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, so I walk in there and I walk the wrong way. I walk through um, like the other way to get in there and it's like where all the the coordinators and coaches are. So they're all like, oh, what'd you do last night? Did you get in trouble? <laughs> Cause you know, you're going to the manager's office. And <laughs> I'm just like, well, I didn't do anything. You know, my grandparents are in town. I went and ate with them, <laughs> you know, but they, they're just messing with me and uh, going to the office. and." Uh, Sean says, well, congrats, like, you're going to Reading, And, you know, it, it never hits you right away. I don't know why. It's But, you know, I was excited, and I was sitting there with uh, with our infield guy and first base coach, Gotai, and, you know, it was all smiles. And I walked back out the other way, you know, and, and the first person I remember seeing is, is, is Manzo. And he gave me a – whenever Manzo shakes your hand, it's a good thing. You know, it's just kind of a, like an honor, you know, and, and uh, just uh, – See those guys happy and I was just overjoyed, you know, just me able to have the opportunity to to move up and you know the guys were really happy
1: and you know it was it was a it was a really cool experience. So before we started this interview, you mentioned that uh there was a little difference in your sleeping arrangements. So so what was what's the first difference you had from
3: Clearwater to here? Oh, well, I was at the house I was staying at in Clearwater just to save money. You know, we we had I think uh, we had six guys, in, seven guys in the house, and I think five, six of us were sleeping on air mattresses, so, you know, last night I got settled in with uh, McGarry and Lefty, and uh, there was a bed, I haven't slept on a bed, and really since January, because in February I go back to DBU with the guys, and I just hit at the field, I slept on an air mattress there, and then spring training, you know, hotel, and then since the season started, it's been on the air mattress, so my back feels great today.
1: <laughs> so that so that explains the fact that you, in your first game, you hit a home run. <laughs> Just imagine you, you were le- leading the uh, Florida Coast League or Florida State League in home runs this year, correct? I was. And so you come up here and you immediately sleep on a regular bed and hit one right out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <was> like clockwork. <laughs> no pressure, huh? <laughs> Jeff
0: and I are going to contribute a mattress wherever you end up to make sure that the hitting keeps going well. Don't worry. Yeah, I'll hold you to it. <laughs>
1: So, so what's it like been? What's it been like to, to get to Reading and adjust to another set of new players and teammates? You know, I mean,
3: baseball is a game of adjustments. You know, it, it seems like you can never get too comfortable because something changes. So, you know, it's being with the new players, it's kind of like you got to get your feet wet and and uh, just you know be yourself. I think that's important. You know, guys respect that when you're trying not to do too much. You're just trying to, you know, do you and and. You know, stay, stay to yourself, and then you kind of eventually just work your way in. You know, you don't want to show up and be like, I'm here, you know. That, that what doesn't work.
1: When you get here, do you, you meet with Greg Legg? Yeah. yeah. And do you talk about, like, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses and what you're going to be working on when you're here? Not really. Um, mm-hmm. When you get
3: here, he just kind of breaks it down, the schedule, um, what things are going to be like, um, you know, signs, obviously, and just, I mean, it was real simple um he just said stick to your routine like the same stuff I was doing in Clearwater um so I'm sure I'm sure some things will change you know the more they they get used to me and and maybe some things that they see but right now it's kind of just like the
1: the acclimation process you know now when when you were in college I hear not only did you have the skill to hit a baseball but you might have been able to throw a baseball (laughs) yeah I,
3: I pitched uh I pretty much pitched my whole life um I really I was hurt my first two years of high school my my shoulder was kind of messed. it was like a growing pain issue um, and I started throwing again when I was a junior and uh, that was kind of something that helped me get through because in high school I wasn't the best hitter um, you know I was a learning hitter I, I had to figure some things out but I was always I could always throw strikes and I throw uh, three pitches for a strike kind of wherever I wanted and uh, I got better and better on the mound and you know as a as a hitter and a position player and and uh, really. Um, my sophomore year is when I took off pitching-wise, and uh, it was – I love pitching. I, I miss it sometimes just because it, it would break up the normal, you know, first base flow. So, like, some – you know, I would play first base every game except for the game I pitched. And when I would pitch, I'd just go in after I was done on DH. And the next day I'd be playing first base again.
1: So, have you uh, – uh, Said to any of your coaches, "Hey, by the way, coach, if you need me for an inning." Yeah,
3: they they always
1: smirk at me (laughs) because nobody
3: can see it. You know, it's it's just like hazy. Like people, if he went around told people, "Like oh, I pissed you know, you just if you haven't seen him do it, it's kind of like almost like funny. You know, because you just can't picture him doing it. Now
1: you come from a baseball family. Yeah. So so tell me, what was it like growing up in your grandfather was a baseball player, right? Yeah, so he he was really the one who got
3: it going in our family. Um, he played professionally. He he played um, some minor league ball with the Giants, and then he played professionally in Mexico. And after he was done with baseball, he actually became like a, back in the day of fast pitch softball when it was a thing. And he's in the Arizona Hall of Fame for fast pitch softball. So he was he was quite the, That's the hitter. That's awesome. And his sons um, Shane and Lad Hall. Lad was drafted three times. And she, he didn't sign. Um, um, and Shane was drafted twice and didn't sign with the Red Sox.
0: Um, What's it like to have family members that have gone through and walked in some of the same shoes that you have? Is that helpful to get some of that advice from them about what they experienced?
3: Yeah. Um, you know, just growing up around them and, and seeing how they kind of went about it. And, um, you know, I, I kind of followed suit in a way. Um, but, you know, I, I can't. I can't give those guys enough credit for what they, you know, the, the role model that they've been to me. And even to this day, you know, they're, not, they're out of the game, but they're model fathers and, and they, you know, they love their families and, they, you know, they just take care of business. And, you know, that's something I admire.
0: Have you gotten any advice from any Phillies in the system, anything that's helped you along the way so far?
3: Yeah. Um, I talked to, like, Reese a little bit this, this last spring train, just on, you know, some, like, timing stuff. And his his thing is, you know, just, just being like, you don't have to like, almost guess. It just, it just kind of happens. You know, I was struggling a little bit with timing. And I think, I, you know, I, I've, I have a tendency to be kind of forceful. Like what I'm trying to do, I try to force it instead of just like, you know, letting, telling myself to do it and then letting my body kind of just let it happen when it's the right pitch. And that's just something I talked to him about. Um, you know, there's, there's a ton of things, you know, like as, at infield, like Truby, you know, talking to Truby and looking at, watching other infielders that are great. You know, it's, it, you can really pick some things up by watching other players, you know, and I, you know, it's, it, it, <clears throat> as a baseball player, you just, you're, you're constantly growing and you go, it's almost like you're like a, like a, like a seashell. You're always growing out of a new shell. Like what might work one year, and then you just lose that shell and you grow another one you know it's just you're always you're always changing and and uh you know the same stuff the stuff that worked for me last year honestly is a little it's not working you know it's i have different keys this year
1: and that's just something that you grow you know grow up kind of learning and doing you, you seem to not be putting pressure on yourself it seems like you're you're kind of going with the flow is that something that is innate in your personality is it something that you've learned through the the coaches that you've had here or or maybe through your your grandfather and your family having gone through it. Yeah, I just, you know, it's something I, I've kind of, you know, was
3: taught by my grandpa. Um it's just like I I like to take away the intangibles, you know? So it's like there's going to be times where you roll balls over or you know, balls take a bad hop and you know, it it sucks but it's okay, you know, you you got to you got to get up and do it again you got to play the next day you, you know you go for four one day you can't drag no for four you could be 0 for eight if you do that you know it's just kind of like something i feel like all of us have to learn to be successful at this game because it's it's too hard for too long you know to, to remember you know a bad game or to hold on to something you just kind of got to let it let it go so what's the most fun you've had so far in the game You know, I think the most fun is like, you know, obviously like playing is great, but it's really just being around the guys and just that camaraderie of, of being a team and, and trying to win, you know, and like, obviously the baseball part, like hitting, you know, throwing guys out, like that's fun. But I think it's just being around the, the people and the experience and just learning how, you know, kind of how we all cope with it. And you really, I tell you what, after 140 games, you learn what, you know, exactly how a person is. Because a lot of the actions that ref, you know are reflected on the field is re- reflected on their their personalities.
1: So when when you make it up to the big leagues, what's going to be your number? I honestly whatever number they give me. Yeah, you what, know, what was the number I, you when you were a kid?
3: Um, well, I started out I kind of like 16 because my uncle Lad was 16. I always looked up to him. Um, you know, he was the one I got to see him play most. Shane was a little bit older, and then. I couldn't get 16 in high school, so I switched to 14 because I still like the teens. And then 14 was my junior college coach's number, so I had to switch to 18. So it's always <laughs> been like I've never really had a number. Uh huh. Um, then I thought it was going to be 22 because that's what I had at DBU, and then uh, that didn't happen. I, had, uh, I forgot who had it at Williamsport. So then I was 46, Then I like 46. So I got 46 at Lakewood. And then in Clearwater, Fultz was 46, the pitching guy. So, and then Sean was 22, so <laughs> I had to pick another number.
1: So what number do you got here? 43,
3: All right. they just gave me 43. But a lot of times, you know, when you're a bigger guy, the, the bigger jerseys are bigger numbers. So
1: that's just kind of how it goes. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> they look better that way. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: So what's your walk-up music gonna be?
3: Um, so I picked up, or, or I uh, put on, it's called No Gain by Wiz Khalifa. I'm, I I love a ton of music like I listen to everything I listen to some rap rock country big I actually like rock a ton like 2000s a little bit of punk rock you know that I, I
1: I don't know puts lead on my pencil there
0: you go but so, uh
1: so so who's the, who was the DJ in in the uh Clearwater locker room honestly it was kind of so we
3: would have like American day and then Latin days so it and um so when it was the American days it was either me or Luke Williams a lot of times or um Sometimes it was Aaron Brown. Okay, Brown would throw on some stuff. But and Who was on Latin days? Latin day it was like Sixto, Medina, uh, Gomez a lot. Who do you Yo think? Vera? Who are they going to be the DJs up here now? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure yet. Yeah. You know, I, I hadn't really seen too much of it.
0: But. What's it like to uh, play with Sixto and, and watch him as fans? You know, he's he's a name you hear about from the organization. You got to see him up close. What was that like?
3: Yeah, um, I tell you what, it's, it's 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 cool watching somebody with just mega tools throw. You know, like guys that just you look at that's it, you know God given arm. You know, I, you can train your whole life. Some people won't be able to throw that hard. You know, so it's it's cool like watching that guy. It's like I guarantee in twenty years when I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm throwing TV, It's gonna be Sixto Sanchez throwing on the mound. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but I could assure you that. But you know, it, it's cool to watch him go through the process and. You know, it, he's definitely working on it. You, you can tell through his numbers; he's he's starting to really get it figured out.
1: All right. So, so what's what what, what do you guys have planned for uh, Cornelius tonight? Anything?
3: I'm not sure yet. Yeah. I know. What is he? Is he turned the big 21. two one tonight? Twenty one.
0: Oh man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure. A, he said he was going to keep it PG for us in the interview. So. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> we'll uh, we'll see about that. But thank you so much for the time. We wish you the best of luck up here and hope you keep moving up uh, so we can see you in the big team one day. No, thank you. Have a great one. So uh, we referenced Cornelius Randolph's 21st birthday in that interview. We'll we'll have an interview with him later on uh, in a couple weeks where uh, it was his birthday on Saturday, so they were planning to go and celebrate. What was your favorite part of that interview, Jeff?
1: Uh, Besides keeping lead in the pencil, (laughs) um, I I think... I think the part was about the mattress. I mean, it, it to me it was really interesting. Is you know people just assume all these guys, you know, ha- have everything handed to them. He lives. He lived in a house in Clearwater with with six other guys, and and they didn't have furniture, so they had air. Ma- and he had an air mattress. We got to be able to get floor. this guy a
0: mattress deal or something. right? I know.
1: I, some somebody who's listening in Reading that owns a mattress store. Cut a deal with him. Get him to have an endorsement. <laughs> and you can hear Derek Hall. The oh, and by, and by the way, he's going to need a California King mattress because he's 6'4". <laughs> yeah,
0: I enjoyed how you agreed with him on the bigger jerseys for bigger people thing. And um, you, you kind of got in on that, like, some secret club of big people if, or something.
1: If, if you're a bigger guy or girl, you need to have uh, more than one digit.
0: So, like, the number one looks awkward on a big person?
1: Yeah, it looks it well, unless you're really thin.
0: Because the number, but, like, 43 would take up my whole back.
1: So. Well, uh, <laughs> we saw him that night wearing his 43 and there was plenty of area around him he a, the, the, the he's guy a big is dude. a big strong he's six 6'4 he's about 240 pounds and he can hit the ball a mile
0: he he was definitely a big guy uh you can follow Derek Hall and the rest of the Reading Phillies after us here on 610 uh listen to their series this weekend
1: and for anybody who thinks that if they if a guy if someone hasn't been drafted in the first or second round those are the guys that make it wrong uh, Where was the, he drafted, Jeff? I think he was the 407th person drafted, I believe, and uh, um, he—I think it was the 20th round. And and he—he he is gonna make it, I
0: think. All right, let's uh, let's leave the interview there. We'll get to the farm report, which you want to rename the arm report in a second. Uh, let's talk about the Phillies draft this past week, which was held on Monday and Tuesday. Your thoughts on what they did? They had the number three pick. Are you surprised? disappointed excited what's your reaction Uh,
1: i'm i'm i was a little disappointed in the third pick but not because of the third pick i was disappointed because i really wanted joey bart and joey bart was taken as a second pick by the giants for our listeners who don't know
0: okay so he's a catcher he's a catcher
1: who's got a gun for an arm and of course you say well but we got that guy we got Alfaro. you can never have enough catchers in your system okay so they're they're good trade chips and catchers don't really have that long a life expectancy in the, in the league because of what happens to their knees from getting beat up all the time. So, it's always a good idea to have more catchers. So, it,
0: we ended up taking Alec Baum. Yeah. It's a good name for a, <laughs> a home he run not, hitter.
1: He, and he is not going to be able to have a single digit on the back of his jersey so cuz he's a, a tall guy who and you're not used to having really tall guys at third base.
0: We You have gone back and forth on our High Hopes Twitter account. Mm-hmm. What, give everybody the handle so they can follow you.
1: Uh, at High Hope fills. So you've fills. gone
0: back and forth with people over Mickey Moniac. Yeah. Let's compare this pick to last year's pick. He's more of a long-term guy, was a younger player. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a, out of high school. Out of high school. Yeah. Alec Baum is predicted to move through the system faster.
1: Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if maybe he skips uh, Williamsport, maybe starts. In a couple of weeks. That's if he signs, by the way. So assuming he signs soon, you'll go down, you'll go to Clearwater to get ready, and then he'll either start in Lakewood at Clearwater would be my guess. Um, I They say that he, he is very mature in his understanding of the strike zone, which is good to hear considering the number of strikeouts we have up here now. Um, and they're not sure whether or not he'll stick at third base. But
0: he's got a lot of power. Okay. So that was a good pick. And he played at a good college program at Wichita State. They've they've play, had a lot of success and played in, in big-time games. Shockers. Yeah. They, Those shockers. I, I used to enjoy watching them in the College Baseball World Series mm-hmm. um, each year. Uh, there was no second or third round pick due to the Arrieta and Santana signings. You're mm-hmm. okay with that? Yeah. Uh, if you had to trade a pick to get Jake Arietta, you okay with it? Arietta, yes, but I know that you have your opinions on Santana kind of clogging up. Yeah, the, but but the here, field, here's
1: so. the deal. I mean, once you get past the first couple picks, and even then, um, it's kind of a crapshoot. You don't know how people are going to develop. It's not like the NBA where somebody comes in and plays right away. You're well, not going to see most of these guys for three rounds. or four years.
0: The NBA also has two rounds. You, right. you like the Phillies' 11th round pick.
1: Well, uh, the way that it worked is there's a guy named Dominic Pipkin. And Dominic Pipkin is was drafted as a shortstop. I mean, that was his main position. But over the last couple of years, he's also developed as a pitcher. And the chances are you will not see him playing shortstop. You will see him pitching. So he's
0: done the backwards Derek Hall, which I found fascinating yeah. that he was a pitcher. And that was how Derek Hall got sort of in and made his way before his hitting came around.
1: Well, he said he was struggling with his hitting. And then he decided he stuck with it because his pitching did well. So it worked out for him, at least staying in the game long enough to develop as a hitter. Um, in this case, the guy has thrown at a tor- at a national tournament 96 miles an hour as, an, as a 17, 18 year old kid. Routinely throws at 93. He's coming from high school. He's coming But is he going to play school. college ball at Cal or is well, that so that's the question. Is it now the fil- the the reason that he dropped? Because if you look at, he was taken at the 257th slot. He was in the top 100 prospects in the country. Okay, so the reason that he dropped is a concern about whether he was going to go to Cal. Okay, he's a commit at Cal, and Cal is a very good baseball program. All right. So, but but they believe, and what what scouts believe is that he's going to sign with the Phillies.
0: We will watch that and the other picks. Let's do a quick rundown of the arm report since you want to take off the F. Uh, these Phillies <laughs> are uh, throwing some gas.
1: <laughs> De Los Santos has just. I mean, he hasn't had a bad start. For at our Lehigh Valley, De
0: Los Santos is at Lehigh Valley, and the he's AAA the guy team. they
1: got for Freddie for Freddie Garcia. I'm not Fred, Freddie Galvis. Freddie Galvis, yeah.
0: Um, eight he, innings pitched, one earned run in his last start. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs are on a four-game winning streak. Team's playing well.
1: Yep, and then and then when you go down to Reading, and they had Ranger Ranger Suarez, and we got to see Ranger pitch uh, when we were in Reading. Yeah, you and
0: your son stayed for that game. Good not night only for a baseball pitch. game. By
1: the way, not only did he pitch well, he got a hit. So.
0: And you had a good view. You were right behind home plate where they were with the, the gun for shooting for the speed of the pitch.
1: Yes. And and has got a lot of movement on his pitches. He goes deep into games, he knows how to keep his pitch count down. It's the kind of guy you'd like to see develop. I mean, I, I
0: personally want to see JoJo pitch, but we'll have to go back and try that. Tell me about Jeff Singer, because we got an interview with him that will air in a few weeks, and he's a fun story.
1: Yeah, I don't want to give it all away because the story is so great, but Jeff Singer a couple years ago was uh, putting gas in cars. So uh, he his father works at a car dealership. He pitched at Rutgers Camden for all the local people. He played um, for the Camden River Sharks. Yep, when he wasn't drafted, and then he went to an open tryout. And he was the only lefty, so he got to go first, and he hit a speed on the gun that he said he never hit before and it was the Yankees, the Orioles, and the, and the Red Sox, and the scuttlebutt got around the league about him, and the Phillies scooped him up because he was a Phillies fan from when he was a kid, and he is now
0: moving through the system. He was called up to Reading on yep. June 1st, no earned runs, five innings pitched, seven strikeouts, yep. and one hit allowed.
1: Now go to where our first stop was, which was Lakewood. Lakewood. And they are loaded with arms again. So they have— Your boy
0: Will Stewart's there, Will, firing gas.
1: Will Stewart, again, a 20th-round pick. And Will, Will Stewart is leading single A in ERA. And he is now the starter for the all-star, the, the single A all-star game. But in addition to him, four out of the top five pitchers in the South Atlantic League are starters for the Blue Claws.
0: We got two minutes left. Give me stock up, stock down, Jeff. Well, for stock... <laughs>
1: Stock stock up. I just stated it. It's Will Stewart. I mean, Will Stewart is just having a great. Will, Will beginning Stewart of the season. has a season.
0: 1.25 ERA, is five and zero with 50 K, 58 strikeouts, eight walks, and sixty four innings. You can't pitch much better than he has. So no,
1: far. it's everything. It's it's it, every every part of his game is clicking from the beginning of the season. All right, so he's
0: a stock up. What you yep. got for stock down?
1: Unfortunately, it's Mitch Walding. He had a uh, tough a, couple weeks. Man, he so he gets called up to the Phillies. And he proceeds in his first major league start to get the golden sombrero. And for people who don't know what that is, that is four strikeouts in four at-bats. Uh, he got a strikeout in another game, and then they sent him back to the minors. So he's now back at AAA. The problem for him is the position that he played uh, is now being played by Dominic Tomshay, who came up from Reading. Who's been mashing the ball in right. A and moved yeah. up to AAA. And so he's going to have to share his former spot on the diamond
0: um anything else surprise you this week in our last minute of the show we had a retirement right in the Phillies farm system
1: we did um it it's it's kind of a shame this is the second time that he's gone through this uh I, I wish him well I hope he I hope he
0: does come back I think he. he was a good ball player um we'll see uh anything else surprise you with what's going on in the Phillies organization as of right now in the last 30 seconds
1: Nothing surprising me. Uh, I just hope th- I hope that the Phillies' big club gets past this issue with with the uh, the shift.
0: Well, they got JP Crawford back, yeah. so we'll see what that means in terms. I don't know of don't helps time the offense, and, though, and lineups and, mm-hmm. and what people have. Something to watch, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, you, you got to see you got you got a farm team that a bunch of arms coming through the system, and and right now it's the bats. They're all excited. Well, but that's what you want. I mean,
1: look, you can never have enough arms. You can never have enough catchers. Nope. And all of those are also trade chips. So keep that in mind. Thank you,
0: everybody, for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.